This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. So let's, let's open up with a few quotes, as we like to do. Uh, out of The Week magazine. You know, The Week magazine is kind of readily made for this program. I, I, would, I recommend you grab a copy of it. It's, it's, uh, it's well put together. And I can't detect any political spin on it. They seem pretty even-handed. Uh, from their Wit and Wisdom section. Quoting George Orwell in the Montreal Gazette. On the whole, human beings want to be good. But not too good. And not quite all the time. And quoting Isaac Disraeli, The wise make proverbs, and fools repeat them. Here's a good one from Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. I think we've quoted this before in this program. To have doubted one's own first principles is the mark of a civilized man. And one from the recently late Daniel Borston. Historian Daniel Borston said, Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some hire public relations officers. And we're sad to report Alistair Cook passed away this week. What I found remarkable about Cook, which I did not know, was that he worked for the BBC Radio from 1946 until this year. He did a weekly report from America that went to Britain and then from there to 51 members of the Commonwealth from 1946 to 2004. 58 years, he only missed three shows in that interim. That is an astounding statistic. Alastair Cook worked in television, worked in radio, apparently hosted the show Omnibus back in the 1950s. Uh, More recently was known from Masterpiece Theater. He would come on and host uh, various British productions as they were brought to American audiences. Uh, Sorry sorry to note the passing of Alastair Cook, and even more sorry to note the passing of legendary actor and director and sort of all-round genius, Peter Ustinov. On our show commemorating the passing of Jack Parr a few weeks ago, we mentioned that Ustinov was the kind of guest you might see on Jack Parr's show. And uh, sadly, he uh, has also given up the ghost. He was quite a guy. He won an Oscar for one of his uh, supporting roles, I believe, in the movie Spartacus. Also did some documentary films. Peter Ustinov was present with a documentary film crew uh, at the assassination of Indira Gandhi in The Witness to History. We should, at some future point on a slow day, come back and tell a little bit more about this remarkable fellow. Now, before I forget, and I must not forget again, I want to point out that you need to go out tonight after this program and the next few nights and notice the fact that the sky has a spectacular show getting better and better. You should be able to spot Venus in the west very easily. It looks like a landing plane. And you should, at this point and for the next few days, be able to easily spot Mercury below it, Mars above it, and Saturn and Jupiter still further above it, uh, spread out all five planets visible in a fairly small area of the sky. Uh, Not something we'll see again probably, I understand, until the year 2036. So, take advantage of this. Mercury is always the toughest one of the five to spot, but if you uh, find where Venus is and look up and find the red Mars above it and then look down the opposite direction toward the horizon, It ought to be pretty obvious. Uh, I've been watching it now for the past week, and it's only getting easier to spot. 
We promised last week we'd say a few more words about this small asteroid that zoomed past the Earth. Uh, This really is a remarkably close shave that we had here on planet Earth. Um, The moon is something like 31 Earth diameters away in orbit. This asteroid came within the orbit of the moon, in fact, came within three and a half Earth diameters of dead center bullseye impact, which is just about the distance our communication satellites are out orbiting. This was a very close shave. And if you listen to This Week in Science this week, you may have noticed that what is, I believe, the third asteroid orbiting the sun that interacts with the Earth has now been located. This asteroid has a horseshoe-shaped, very strange orbit that for a time period makes it look as though it's tagging around after the Earth because of a gravitational interaction. Pretty cool stuff. And I don't think we realize how strange the, uh, the solar system really is. We're, we're think that, we think that asteroids and comets sort of blend into one another. A very large asteroid discovered about 15 years ago called Chiron turns out on further examination apparently to be a monstrous comet. Yes, on its closest pass to the, to the sun, which is only about the orbit of Saturn, it warmed up enough to start putting off vapor. It's apparently something like, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 to 100 times the size and diameter of Halley's Comet, meaning it has perhaps 10,000 times the volume. It is a big comet indeed. What's the difference between a comet and an asteroid, you ask? Well, scientists are grappling with that. Uh, We think a lot of smaller asteroids may be the rocky remnants of what had once been a ball of ice or a ball of gravel and ice, a big dirty snowball, which all these snow boiled away on. Uh, This recent uh, uh, planetary-like object, Sedna, which is believed to be three-quarters the size of Pluto but orbiting three times further out, revives this debate of what a planet actually is. We can't quite figure out what a planet is. We've never it started out with objects moving about in the sky, like these the five that you can see. Planet meant wanderers. Then we realized that, oh my God, we're living on one. Earth is one too. But beyond that, we try and decide, well what you know what when does it become a planet? We don't regard the asteroid series, the largest of them as a planet. Uh, and these objects we're finding now around Pluto's orbit, in what's called the Kuiper Belt, where comets are, are further confusing the matter. It seems that Pluto itself may be a monstrous comet. They found other objects that are, you know, half the size of Pluto. Remember reading one about one called Quahuar we talked about on the show last year. Well, this new object, Sedna, is about three-quarters the size of Pluto, three times further out. We think it's probably round in shape. It orbits in another band of comets called the Oort Cloud. I remember reading an, uh, an Isaac Asimov essay many years ago where he was describing how uh, these two Dutch astronomers, Kuiper and Oort, both calculated that there must be these belts of comets based on the orbits of comets whizzing in around the sun. The Kuiper belt is the close one. They're orbiting like planets, pretty much moving in the same direction. The Oort cloud was a conjecture. It was believed these comets coming whipping around the sun came in from all directions. There must be a band of them out there, but nobody had ever seen an object out there until last week when it was announced that this very large object, Sedna, was orbiting in what appears to be the Oort cloud. Um, It's an interesting menagerie. We're going to get an astronomer on here. We've promised that before. We're going to go through this uh, in some detail in a future program because it seems in the solar system we just at this point can't keep the players straight without a program. Let's engage in a bit of levity.
I found an item here from uh, Tom Burka's website, which is called Opinions You Should Have. I've written Tom a letter, and he's going to appear on the show in the future. We look forward to speaking with him. On his website, he has an item about uh, Condoleezza Rice, which I think I should share. Uh, Apparently, Rice recently asked the commission for the opportunity to testify privately before them a second time, but not under oath and only while speaking through a large hand puppet. It is our view that the use of a hand puppet would give Ms. Rice plausible deniability should anyone challenge her statements, said Michael Musto, a new spokesman for the White House. If that happens, we will just blame it on the puppet. Also weighing in on this issue is Andy Borowitz on his website. When asked to account for the goings-on at the Bush White House, National Security Advisor Condoleezza Rice said, I have no recollections of any conversations with anybody ever. Ms. Rice's comments received corroboration from Bob Denver, the star of the long-running TV sitcom Gilligan's Island. Denver told reporters, quote, It is indeed possible to totally lose your memory of events from a certain period of time, especially if you've been hit in the head by a falling coconut. I know. And another item from Tom Burka, kind of a surprising one. After his endorsement of Howard Dean failed to ignite Dean's campaign, former Vice President Al Gore has decided to get involved in this election and asked for a recount of the nine justices' vote in the 2000 election. He now alleges that there was an improper vote-counting technique had resulted in a wrong decision. It should have been four to five, not five to four, said Gore. Sandra Day O'Connor assures me that she thought she was voting for me and not Mr. Bush when she wrote her concurring opinion. Now, apparently Justice Clarence Thomas, in a recent speech at Howard University, admitted he thought he'd voted for Pat Buchanan. Uh, Al Gore is apparently collecting the Supreme Court ballots and intends to deliver them to the Palm Beach County Board of Electors for the recount to get things warmed up for election 2004. Now, uh, we've actually, as we're trying to do this program, we received a fax here purporting, well, actually, I I know the person that sent this to me, and uh, he's apparently attending an astrobiology conference at NASA Ames in the Bay Area, and I'm having a hard time believing what's what's before me. In fact, I, 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 I don't know what to think about this. It says in the facts here that, that scientists, planetary scientists at Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, have identified an object that ap- appears to be in motion near the Opportunity rover on the surface of Mars. Uh, we're putting a phone call in to see if we can clear this up. And I, have, you, have you got him yet? I believe, okay, I believe we have, okay, hold on. Are you, are you there, Professor? Uh, yes, yes, pleased to be speaking with you. Well, um, we received an email that is somewhat incredible to me that's claiming uh, that the one of the Mars rovers apparently has, there's an anomaly or something, something that appears to be moving near the rover. What, what do you know about this? Well, I'm I'm very surprised that you uh, got that email. There's a very strict embargo on on that result for uh, oh, at least a week or two until it comes out. Some, some we definitely need substantial peer review on on something of this magnitude. So, so uh, I'm 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 really sort of surprised. So you understand that uh, that uh, this this conversation is uh, very just between us, right? Uh, actually, we're broadcasting now over the airwaves. Well, I don't see anyone seeing me talking on my cell phone about this nearby. So go ahead, go ahead. Uh, my my question is, uh, you know, is this is there something to this? 
I mean, what, what's going on? Something, there's an object moving near the, one, of these, one of these rovers? Well, uh, for instance, a layperson would, uh, would call this movement, yeah. but uh, for instance, uh, a scientist, we would simply, we see in one image, something is in one position, and then in another image, it is in a different position. And so if you could really call that movement, well, that would be a gross uh, simplification, I think. Well, how many, how many different photographs do you have showing the object in different positions? Well, it depends on what you mean by object, I think. Well, what is this thing? Is this a rock? What, what, is, what is this? Uh, we are, we are uh, in the process of uh, conducting the preliminary investigations uh, with the uh, instrument deployment device, which has the uh, MOS Bauer and the APXS instrumentation on it. And uh, we, are, we are getting a very uh, good, uh, if preliminary, idea of uh, some of the structure and it uh, just just uh, the way it responds to the pressure of the contact of the arm is uh, quite mysterious it, it, it does not seem to be rock-like at all so you're actually poking this thing yes yes for instance uh, we have uh, previously touched some of the materials uh, where you see some of the fine grains the blueberries and uh, they disappear beneath the much finer grained background material uh, just from the very light pressure of, of the robotic arm I, I see some of the security approaching me, and uh, I, I do not want them to hear me uh, discussing this matter. Well, can we call you back? Yes, 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 please do. Okay, all right. Something else I should have mentioned as we were talking astronomy a minute ago uh, that is that um, they're now arguing that perhaps the Chicxulub crater in Mexico um, was not the smoking gun that took out the dinosaurs. They're thinking that the, the crater may have come 300,000 years before the dinosaurs completely kicked it. They're theorizing that perhaps environmental changes took a little bit longer than we think to have killed off the great lizards. Now, it seems pretty clear that this ignited fires all over the world and induced massive, massive changes in the Earth's environment. So it still is basically to blame, but it just maybe, maybe took longer than we think. Co combined with some other things like, you know, lava flows erupting in India... I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm going to try and go down to Berkeley to get Walter Alvarez to talk to us about this interesting, very interesting topic on, on the show. Uh, related story, there's been uh, some reinvestigation here of what happened in Chicago back in 1871, which you who studied history may remember. Uh, Chicago's downtown pretty much burned up. 300 people were killed in that famous episode. Uh, it appears now that it well, pretty definitely, it was not Mrs. O'Leary's cow that, uh, that uh, was the culprit. A physicist, Robert Wood, has studied records and notes that a comet, yes, a comet may have been the culprit. Records show that Biola's comet had been circling the sun for about every six years before a close encounter with Jupiter caused it to break into big fragments in 1845. After studying astronomers' accounts from that period, Wood thinks it's likely that one of those fragments hurtled toward Earth at the time of the fire. Now, I've read theories about this before, dating back a few years ago. The night of the Chicago fire, there was also a very large fire in Wisconsin. This started, apparently simultaneously, a long distance away. Forests were burned. More people died in the Peshtigo fire than died in Chicago. There are some eyewitness accounts that noted fire balloons falling from the sky that night. You know, so, uh, you know, back to this near miss on, on March 18th, uh, this stuff, um, this stuff may be real. And, and these efforts we're making to locate these near-Earth objects, I think, is money well spent. 
right, I think we I think we can take a moment and go back now to uh, NASA Ames. Have you got him? Yes. Okay. All right, we're now returning now to NASA Ames for an update from Professor Fritz Kirschtorter about what's going on in the Mars rover. Well, uh, we were uh, seeing some interesting changes uh, as the rover moved about the object, and it does seem to uh, to be uh, somehow following us, showing motion. Following uh, we are you. keeping We are keeping close track of the, the winds, and it does not seem to be associated with the direction of the wind. Now, uh, the rover is a metal object. We have found magnetite crystals in, in Martian meteorites that have uh, caused a great debate about whether there is life on Mars, and, and yet perhaps uh, we are seeing some preliminary showing the magnetite in these structures, and it is possibly the how of how these uh, these are tracking the rover with their magnetite is attracted to the metal in the rover. Wait, now you, wait, 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 wait. You're, you're, tell, you're telling us that this thing appears to actually be following the robot? Yes, yes. So we have, we, we sample some of the spherules and we move and uh, the spherules, the blueberries as we have been calling them and, uh, and the, the uh, structures seem to be following us. Well, doesn't this imply life on Mars? Well, you say life, a scientist says complex living structure, yes, perhaps. Well, if it's following the robot, isn't it alive or being directed by something that is alive? Mm, it's very curious, it's very curious. Uh, perhaps, perhaps uh, it's simply stuck to rover, following us along behind, uh, uh, perhaps uh, there is some error in our uh, imagery. So it could be like that, that Mars bunny, a bit of, of, of a debris that's blowing about. Well, well, uh, well I, will share, I will share my hypothesis, and uh, this is why that I have termed these structures uh, as I have. And, uh, well, we have sampled the blueberries extensively. We have uh, actually quite decreased the population, and these seem to be following us around. And I think they are following us, and uh, they are very upset that uh, we have been uh, after their blueberries. Uh, I, have, I have dubbed them, especially due to their amorphous structure, as uh, the muffins. They are the Martian muffins. They want the blueberries back. We must confess that we're actually speaking with Derek Shannon of the Mars Society. Derek, you actually are at the conference at, uh, at NASA Ames. Would you come back next week and actually tell us for real what, uh, what the interesting findings are? Definitely. When it's not April Fool's. Sure thing, sure thing. I'll, I'll check the calendar first. <laughs> All right, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, our second and possibly third segments today, we're going to do a, this topic that's near and dear to us, hoaxes, fakes, frauds, it's April Fool's. Let's take a look at some of history's more um, fascinating examples of, uh, of hoaxes. But before we do, let's round out the first segment today with some miscellaneous news items we've been piling up uh, that I think we ought to tell you about. Apparently last week, the German state of Bavaria announced that it would no longer subsidize Lederhosen for professional yodelers. We have no reaction from Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger to this, but I guess, the, I guess apparently the German state of Bavaria decided it was time to privatize the whole matter of subsidized Lederhosen. I don't know if you noticed this story. The Pentagon, which believes that it needs to spend lots and lots and lots of your money, not on counterterrorism necessarily, but on much more valuable projects like missile defense shields, decided to put robotic vehicles to ride across the Mojave Desert on their own. Uh, there was a rather disappointing end to the thing when, when 
all 15 entrants failed to finish, failed to reach the finish line. The favorite apparently was a Carnegie Mellon University Humvee, which veered off into the off into a mountainous dirt track just 11 kilometers along the 230 kilometer long route. It was only safe from plunging down a cliff when its undercarriage got stuck. It traveled further than any other robotic vehicle. Now think about this. The Pentagon can't get automobiles to work automatically driving, and yet they want to put sophisticated lasers with sensing devices into orbit and expect them to work perfectly the first time when they have to. (sighs) My. And lost in all the hoopla over the gay marriage issue is this little item. The United Nations recognizes polygamy as a legitimate form of marriage and allows its employees to divide benefits among more than one wife. But a proposal to extend benefits to same-sex partners had sparked intense opposition by a coalition of 50 Islamic states and the Vatican. And let's close our first segment today with this following miscellaneous item. When Lieutenant Colonel Glenn Bramall of Spartansburg, South Carolina, shared some Christmas fruitcake with an Afghan general, the officer demanded to know where the strange delicacy had come from. Bramhall promptly phoned home to get more. Ultimately, a community service group sent six cases of fruitcake, all of which was happily snapped up by villagers outside of Kabul. I bet he'd be a good fruitcake salesman, said Dale Parker, vice president of Claxton Bakery, which makes the cakes. Maybe he could be our Afghanistan representative. Let us take, ladies and gentlemen, a short break. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Sacramento. 